You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Good evening, everyone. I am Graham. I'm Gareth Carruthers, not Graham. Sorry about that. And I'm here with my beautiful wife, Charlotte. So good to be here. We're here about seven weeks in the country, and to be honest, we've just about got over the jet lag. It's a long way from Ireland, and I think it made us realize why they say New Zealand's one of the safest countries in the world. Because if any world or any country in the world wanted to invade New Zealand, by the time the army got here, the amount of jet lag they'd have, (laughs) they'd be lying in bed for a week. But it's so, so good. It's a joy to be here to share with you at your revival night tonight. And before I jump into the message, I wanted to share a wee bit about myself, help you to get to know me a wee bit better. And to do that, there's a game I want to play really quickly. Put your hand up if you've ever heard of the game, Two Truths and a Lie. Yeah? For those who haven't heard it, it's where someone states three things about themselves. Two of them are true, one is a lie, and you have to try and figure out which is the lie. So here we go, some Irish stereotypes. Let's try it. <laughs> Statement number one, I play the bagpipes. Okay. Statement number two, My middle name is Patrick. (laughs) And statement number three, I once had a dog that had nine lives. Not a cat, a dog that had nine lives. So if you think number one is the lie that my, I play the bagpipes, put your hands up. We have a few, okay. Put your hand up if you think the lie is number two, my middle name is Patrick. Third and final one, put your hand up if you don't think I had a dog with nine lives. Okay. Well, the winners are those who guessed. Number two, my middle name is not Patrick. You can get a crunchy bar next Sunday morning for getting that right. I do play the bagpipes. And if anyone has a a set of bagpipes with them in the boot of your car, I will show you later that I can play the bagpipes. But I did actually have a dog that had nine lives. And I actually have a picture of said dog. My dog's name was Snoopy. This is me and Snoopy back in the luscious green grass of Ireland. (laughs) I got Snoopy when I was, I think, five years old, five or six for Christmas. And Snoopy was one of them gifts that was a gift that kept on giving because she just would not die. (laughs) We lived out in the countryside, so... We had a lot of space for dogs to run about. Not like Auckland, you know, where you have houses built on top of each other and on top of each other and on top of each other. We had open fields, and it was a dog's paradise. And our dog, like any wee Jack Russell, was quite protective, quite loyal, quite a yappy wee dog. And any time a stranger came to our house or even drove by, our dog would bark. Snoopy was a great guard dog. But what happened was she was so committed to the task that she nearly killed herself eight times. Anytime a car went past the end of our lane, she would chase the car from one end of our drive to the other. It was about a 50-meter fence along it, and she would run up against it. Every single time, multiple times a day, she was the fittest dog in Ireland, really, really good. She would have got to the the semi-final of the Commonwealth Games, you know, if she was playing. (laughs) She She was quick. But I can remember the first time she got hit by a car. She was about two years old, which is, what, what's that, 14 in dog years? That's still quite tragic. That's young. And I can remember as a child being, it was traumatizing. 
the moment she first got hit by a car, uh, and we ran down to the end of the lane, and there she is, she's bleeding, it's, oh, I felt so bad for the person who hit her, because all these children just bawling their eyes out, dog dying, and we carried her back to the house and cleaned her up, and she was still sort of spaced out of it, but after about half an hour, she got back up, and that week she started to mend and get better and better, and she lived, until it happened again next year. She got hit by another person driving by. It was still traumatic, but just not as much as it was the first time. <laughs> and then the third time, it was actually my dad. My dad hit her. But again, like every time she'd get hit and then just jump back up to her feet. I couldn't believe it. But then as time went on, the older she got, the vehicles started to change. It wasn't just cars. that She got hit by a tractor. She got hit by a bicycle, believe it or not. And I can remember the sixth time she got hit, we thought that was it. And I thought that was it. It was me who hit her. I just remember. Because <laughs> she got older. As all get older, she, got, she was a wee bit blinder and a wee bit deafer. And in Ireland, we didn't have much good weather, but there was one really good day, and she was getting a bit of shade under the, like, the, the mud flap of my wheel and my tire and my car. And I got into the car, and I reversed. And I was like going over a really slow speed bump. I was like, what was that? Got out. It was snooping. Oh, heartbreaking. But again, she survived it up until she was about 14. And I'm not joking. She was 14 at this stage, which again is dog years. Is that 144? I don't know what that is. Amazing. But it was the final blow because we were doing silage, which is like harvesting. We're farmers back home. And my, my uncle was driving a tractor and it had a trailer on the back of it. And Snoopy was blind and deaf at this stage, and as she was sort of on her last legs, he came out. And he went over, not just in the tractor, but with the trailer in behind. And I remember he was gutted. He, he carried her up and set her into the hay shed, and we went across. Believe it or not, she lived. <laughs> she, we got the vet out. She had broke her entire back and her legs, completely crushed. And at that stage, we said, okay, the only humane thing left to do is to put the dog down. So the vet was there, we all stood around. This is so not romantic or, or, or nice. We dug a hole beside her. <laughs> the injection came out and the vet put it into the dog and we all just stood there, waiting. <laughs> Five minutes passed, the dog's still looking up. 10 minutes passed, we look at the vet and say, is this, is this normal? No. <laughs> One last injection. And her eyes closed for the last time. That was the end of Snoopy, the dog with nine lives. I guess you could say she was a revival dog. <laughs> Which is appropriate for tonight. Snoopy is a revival dog, and tonight's a revival night. And if Snoopy ever taught me anything about revival, it's this. That revival is touch and go. Do you have that phrase here? Touch and go where the odds are against you. There's very little hope, and out of nowhere, it happens. Yeah. And you know when I talk to people about revival, especially back home in Ireland, they see the church a wee bit like Snoopy. A dog on our last legs, not much hope. You listen to the media, the critics will tell you there's no hope for the future of the church. There's very little hope at all. We, we don't know if it'll even happen. Maybe it's been, her, her best days are behind her. The revivals of old, never to be seen again. 
It's touch and go. And tonight I want to look at how revival is indeed touch and go. Turn to the person beside you and in your best Irish accent, say touch and go. Some of you guys need to work on your Irish accents. Is that the best you got? Have you ever had a touch and go moment? A moment where you weren't sure you were going to make it through. I actually had a touch and go moment this morning. I just seen down the front Zach Harris. What a legend. Give Zach a round of applause. <laughs> Zach was our Uber driver this morning. We got carted around to Papakura and Pokakoi. Really lovely to, to go around and see the Elam family there. But on the way home, Zach, there was a touch and go moment. You were amazing, and we'll let you know his secret. He was driving Bex's car. And just as we came out on the motorway, I kind of seen this lorry coming behind me. And all of a sudden, he's about to turn in, and the beeper comes on, beep, 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 swerves back in. And he goes, the lorry came out of nowhere, didn't it? That was a touch and go moment. That was a touch-and-go moment, but we're here. And we're here to look at a touch-and-go moment in the Bible. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. If you have a, a phone or a device, switch it there. It'll be on the screen behind me. Jesus faces a, a touch-and-go moment. All seems to be going well. We see that when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Jesus has just preached the greatest sermon series in church history. He's been up the mountain in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and he's been preaching the Beatitudes, a new way to live. And no matter how good our outpouring series has been or revival nights, this was the greatest sermon series ever, teaching people the way of God. And the people were in awe. The people were amazed, and great crowds followed him. All is going well until verse 2. We read, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And behold, pause for one moment, take a deep breath, look in a wee bit further, behold, something has just happened. And if you're new to church, if you're new to faith, you could be excused right now for wondering, what on earth is going on? Why is this a touch-and-go moment? Sometimes in church, as preachers and congregations, we can have a conversation that is, if you're in the know, you know, yeah? And I hate them conversations. You know when your two friends are having a conversation and you come across halfway and they're talking about someone and something and, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they sort of look at you and go like, oh. And sometimes as church, we can go, oh, okay, we have to go back to basics here and explain from the start. So, so please do not feel like that. If you've come into this room and you, you've heard the word spoken here, and behold, the leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And you're like, I, I don't see the touch and go moment. It's okay. You're in a safe place here. And we want to take a, a step to the side just for a moment. I want to give you the, the context of this conversation that'll help you understand what's going on and why this is a touch-and-go moment. The scripture here tells us that a leper comes before Jesus. This isn't a leopard. It's not a member of the big cat family. 
in fact, is probably more similar to my dog Snoopy. Why? Because he's a member of the walking dead. In that time of history, having leprosy was like a death sentence. Now today, we know leprosy is a skin condition that brings on numbness and weakness and disfiguration right across our body, and it's in fact curable today and preventable. But back then, it was a death sentence. If you got leprosy, that was your life as good as done and dusted. They seen it as a physical condition that could spread. They didn't have face masks. They didn't have sanitizer. They didn't have social distancing. They just sent you off as far as they could. You were an outcast. You were ostracized by your friends and your family and sent off to a settlement somewhere outside the town. They wanted nothing to do with you, not just because it was a physical condition, but it was seen as being a spiritual condition. They believed that someone got leprosy because of the sin in their life. It was a punishment from God. So they didn't just want the physical contamination, they didn't want the spiritual contamination. And they wanted rid of that person. So this fellow walking through the crowd, great crowd, to Jesus. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Mothers pulling their children back, men picking up stones, people shouting abuse, telling this man where he should be. Could you imagine right now, and you can't imagine because of the context that we're in, if I just stood up right now and said, by the way, folks, I have COVID. How would you respond? I know you're a wee bit further away, but I'd imagine some people would leave. Some people would give off to the church leadership. Why was he preaching? Why was he not tested? And and rightly so. But that is a condition and a disease in today and a sickness today that didn't have the same implications back then. If you caught leprosy, that was your life over. So if there would have been anger in this room and in this moment because of COVID, imagine what it would have been like in that crowd when the man stands out before Jesus and people see it. It's clear as day. His very skin, his very muscles, his very body would have shown and bear the marks. They would have been furious. That's what they would have been thinking. But the Bible goes one step further and tells us why they would have been thinking it too. We just finished an amazing sermon series in um, the 10, looking at the the 10 commandments, looking at the law. And it gives us a picture because right throughout the scriptures, and we see especially in Leviticus, where, where we're taught on leprosy and the procedures and the policies that were in place for anyone who caught it. But what I love about this passage here is that Matthew's chapter 8 is a, a parallel passage to Exodus chapter 32. And let me show you how. In Matthew chapter 8, we see Jesus. He's been up on the mountain and he's been teaching the people a new way to live. And he's coming down the mountain and he faces a man with leprosy, the physical embodiment of sin in their day and age. If we skip to Exodus chapter 32, you'll know that Moses went up the mountain in Exodus chapter 20. We looked at the 10, but he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He was there with the Lord, learning about a new way to live for the people. And he comes down the mountain to what? The golden calf, which is the embodiment of human sin in that day and age. You know the story, or maybe you don't. Let me fill you in on it. As Moses was up the mountain for so long, the children of Israel were waiting and waiting and waiting, and they turned to Aaron and said, look, 
We've given up on Moses. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know what he's at. You need to make a God for us. Make us a God that we can worship. So he got all the gold, and he fashioned a golden calf out of it. And there's so many interesting things we could pick upon there. You see, even for people today who, who say they walk away from the faith, they no longer believe in God. It's not that they don't believe in God. They start to put their trust in other gods. And they follow the ways of the world. Why? Because they made a golden calf. This is the children of Israel who just came out of Egypt. And one of the gods in Egypt is a priest, which is a bull. And they're on their way to the promised land, which is Cana. And the god of the Canaanites we see in Scripture is Baal, who is a bull. So when they go to make their own god, they follow the ways of the world. They worship the gods of this world. But there's just one wee interest in detail that changes. It's not a bull, it's a calf. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering why? Why, why not a bull? Why, why a wee baby calf? Well, calves are easier to control than bulls. That God would have been a lot more easier to control in their day. And I know this firsthand. I'm a farmer. I can remember when I was about 14, I got over the death of my beloved Snoopy, and I changed my mind on what sort of animals I wanted. I wanted to buy a cow and a calf. That is such a Fermanagh thing to do, a, f a farmer thing to do, a place where I'm from, such a country thing to do. Forget dogs, go for cows. So we went and we bought a cow and a calf, and my, my aspiration for this calf was to train it up. There, I, I don't know if you ever watch TV, you might see like county fairs, where they bring in like their prized pumpkin, and they, they show their animals, and they lead them around the ring, and they win prizes. That was my goal in life. How sad is that? That was my teenage dream. To have this calf that would grow up into a ball and, uh, and be able to lead it around and win prizes. And I can remember when we bought it, the calf was only six, week, six weeks old when we first bought it. And it was great. I would get a wee halter, which is like a bit, bit like a, a dog leash for, the, for cows. And just the same way you train a puppy to walk, you train a calf to walk. So I'd bring this wee calf out and it would be a wee bit stubborn, but week after week after week, uh, it it started to learn. It started to walk. I could start to lead this calf, no bother, just as someone walks their dog. But one day, I'd say probably eight months in, the calf has grown substantially. And I'm walking this calf. And at the start, I was really, really careful. At the start, I would close all the gates in my farmyard. So just in case the calf got the better of me and ran off, that it wouldn't run away forever. I'd be able to catch it and corner it and put it back in its pen. But as the time went on, I got more and more confident, and I started to walk this now bull-like animal. It was bigger, it was stronger, and I was walking, and one day, a gust of wind came and slammed one of the gates closed, and it scared the life out of this calf, and it just went, and I went after it. Have you ever seen Buckaroo? Or you like Rodeo? That's what it looked like. I was holding on for dear life to this calf. It was running me around. And you know what? Calves soon turn into bulls. And it's like sin in our life. We, we, we start out small. Something that we can control. Something that we can fashion. Something that we can make our own. And we could give it up at any stage. 
It doesn't have control of us. It's only a calf. It's only small. But calves soon take control. Calves turn into bulls. And although this seemed like a small wee thing to Israel, it was a sin in the eyes of God. And when Moses came down the mountain, we pick it up in Exodus 32, verse 19. It tells us his reaction to it. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. I love that picture, that because of their sin, Moses dropped the tablets and the tablets broke. You see, sin breaks God's law. Just as the tablets broke, the, the, the tablets of stone that were carrying the Ten Commandments, sin breaks the law of God. It breaks the heart of God as well. And it breaks us. Sometimes we can think sin is so innocent, so small, something that we just brush under the carpet, something we have control of. But once it takes control of us, it breaks us. We become broken people. We see that way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. When sin entered the world, it broke the relationship between man and God. There was a separation, and it made us broken people. We were made to bear the image of God, and that was cracked, fractured, broken by sin itself. It breaks that relationship. And I suppose you could say our sinful desires lead to our own self-destruction. James chapter 1 verse 15 puts it like this. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That is why this is a touch-and-go moment. Let me bring you back from the context to the conversation. This is why it's a touch-and-go moment. This man isn't just controversial because of his condition of leprosy, but because he has broken the law. And as we see from this parallel passage, the point is, when you break God's law, it leads to death. What happened after Moses comes down the mountain? In Exodus 33, we see that many people in the camp were killed. They were punished for their sin. And when it comes to breaking the law of God, it brings death. And it's a touch-and-go moment for this man because as he comes before Jesus, he's broken the law. The people aren't just disgusted at this leper sharing this physical condition, but that he's broken the spiritual law. And they would have been calling for him to die, to pay the price, the punishment that he deserved. And that's bad news. Why? Because that leper represents you and he represents me. This man is unnamed, unwelcomed, unwanted, unclean, and he represents you and me. Why? Because although we may be physically alive, the Bible says we are spiritually dead because of our sin. We are the walking dead. We need revival. We are on the brink of death, just like this man. Jesus, talking to the church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I wonder, I wonder what would Jesus speak to us this evening. I wonder, on the outside, do you look fit and healthy? You're getting your crunches in in the morning. You're going for your run. You're going to the gym. You're drinking plenty of water. You look fit and healthy, but on the inside, you're spiritually dead. 
on the outside, on Instagram, you're putting up the Bible verses. You know, you're sharing the worship songs, but on the inside, it's been a long time since you prayed. On the outside, you're alive, but on the inside, spiritually speaking, you're dead. Now, this is why it's a touch and go moment. Because we know how Moses responds in this moment. When he comes down the mountain, he drops the tablets. He's angry. And he sees the people punished for their sin and they die. Jesus is the greater Moses. So people are wondering, if this man is the man he's saying he's going to be, will he fulfill the law? Will he do what the scriptures say? Will there be death because the law is broken? And we see how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. It says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Just picture that for a moment, will you? Imagine for a moment with me that you are that leper. You haven't been touched, physically speaking, by your nearest and your dearest for goodness knows how long. Your closest friends and your closest family members won't go near you, yet this man, Jesus, touches you. Let me just say, if there's someone in this place, and you've been longing for someone to love you, you've grew up, you've lived your life, you've went from job to job, relationship to relationship, looking for love, let me just say this, Jesus will reach out to you. Jesus will touch you. And in the moment, he's cleansed. Cleansed inside out, upside down, cleansed. The touch of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. But Gareth, what? Why? You said that if you break the law, it leads to death. And yet here's Jesus reaching out his hand and touching this man, not condemning him with a finger of judgment, but a helping hand up. I thought you said, if the law is broken, it leads to death. It did. It led to his death, the death of Jesus, where he went to the cross for your sin and for mine, where he took it all. He can reach out his hand and touch you to cleanse and to forgive because he stretched out his hand on Calvary's cross. He can bring you back from death to life because he himself rose from the grave. Jesus is reaching out to you. Maybe you've been looking for that touch from the wrong people and looking for it in the wrong places. Can I tell you, you can find it here tonight. One touch from Jesus changes everything. Maybe already tonight you've felt that touch. Maybe it's been the welcome. Maybe it's been the worship. Maybe it's been the word, but you feel God touching you, changing you inside out, a desire to change, to repent, to turn. And I love that. I love that picture. Jesus reaches out because the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his compassion as he reaches out, not to condemn us, but to bring us on this journey. And in that moment, he is changed. Tonight, you're going to have an opportunity to receive a touch from God. We're going to pray for people who who are in this place who say, you know what, I need that. Uh, My life is a mess. (laughs) My sin, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I don't know where to start. I don't have this relationship with God. On the outside, I look good and healthy, but on the inside, I'm dead. Tonight, 
you can receive that touch from God. But before we do, let me just show you one more thing. Because there is a commission that comes from those who are cleansed. And there's so many people in this room who already know Jesus. You've received that touch in your life. And you want that cleansing. You've had that cleansing. But right now there's a commission for you. Matthew chapter 8 verse 4 says this. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded him for a proof to them. Do you see that? Do you see that revival is touch and go? He was touched by God and then said, go. Go and show yourself. We are touched so that we will go and testify. God touches our life so that we will go and touch others, so that they will receive the love of Jesus. He does a work in our life so that we'll be a witness for him. And we, we see this. This guy does exactly that. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Just through this one man, many were healed and made whole by Jesus. He was touched to go. And we need to go. We need to go. What were the last words of Jesus to us? To go into all the world and to make disciples. He has done a work in us so that we would be a witness. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't feel much like a witness. I don't have the charisma. I don't have the voice. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, sh the whole showmanship to share Jesus. Well, if you ever go to a, law, a court of law and you see a witness in there, the best witnesses aren't known for their charisma. They aren't known for their alliteration. They aren't known for their nice sermon titles. They're known for their character, for telling the truth for just telling exactly what they've seen and exactly what they heard. And that's what Jesus has asked us to do, to go. Why? Because people need to hear. People need to hear. There's people in this city that don't know Jesus. Don't know Jesus. There's people in this nation have never heard of Jesus. There's people around this world, 3.2 billion people unreached with the gospel. When I say unreached, I don't mean that they're not saved. They're not Christians. I do mean that, but they're unreached. They don't have any Christians or any church in their world, and they will never hear the good news of Jesus. They will leave, live their entire lives and leave this earth into eternity without ever hearing Jesus. That's why we're called to go. We're touched to go. Revival starts with a touch, and it continues with us going just as the, the band joined me on stage. I want to give an opportunity tonight for those in this place who want a touch from Jesus. Maybe you're in this place and, and you don't yet know him and you're saying, I need that. I want that compassion. I want that forgiveness. I want to turn from my sin. I want to put my trust in him. We would love to lead you in prayer to start this relationship, this journey, not a religion. You're not joining a church. You're joining a family of people who know Jesus, who have been changed inside out, who can testify and say, he has cleansed me. That although no one would go near me, no one would touch me, Jesus stepped into my life and changed it. Not just on this life here on earth, but throughout all eternity. Not just abundant life, but eternal life. And if that's right, you right now, I'm just going to ask, would you bow your head?
where you are. Let's all bow our heads together. I want to pray. If that's you right now, I want to lead in prayer. And there's nothing magical about the words I'm about to say, but it's about a relationship. When I asked my wife Charlotte to go out with me or to marry me, to enter into a relationship, she had to respond and speak to me. And Jesus has given us an invitation, an outstretched hand to each and every one of us. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So if that's you, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that he went to the cross. He died for my sin. And he rose again. I put my trust in him. I ask that you would forgive me. That you would set me free. That you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I seek to follow you now and all the days of my life. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, Adrian's going to come up in a moment. He's going to tell you how you can stay connected, how we can help you in this journey. But I sense in this room, this is a touch and go moment. It's not just a touch, it's a go moment. And tonight afresh, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has been reviving your heart for your friends and your family, for your neighbors, the people next door to you that you don't even know, the people in your workplace, the people down your street, the people in your sports club, the people in this nation, in cities, towns, and villages that haven't heard of Jesus, and even maybe in this moment, nations around the world that need to hear the good news. Right now, I'm just going to ask, if that's you, I would love to pray for you. You don't have to tell me their names. You don't need to tell me their locations and, and what their challenges are, but I would love to pray for you. And I know everyone else in this room would love to do that too. So I want to ask you to be bold. Just as Jesus stretched out his hand to this man and told this man, go, I want you to stretch out your hand and say, I want to go. I want to serve. I want to be used by you. And as you do that and people around you, I want you to stretch your hands out towards them. If you see anyone with an outstretched hand in the moment, that you would put their hand toward them and start to pray for them. We want to commission you to go. After the cleansing comes that moment of commissioning. So right now, wherever you are, would you just reach up your hand? I'd love to pray for you. God working and moving in your hearts to go. Just right now. Say, I want to go. I want to be used. I want to be a vessel for you, Jesus. I want to be an offering. I want to use my life for your glory. You've touched me. You've worked in me. I want to go. That's me. Just right now, wherever you are, I want to pray. Just raise your hand saying, Jesus, I'm all in. My life is yours. Father, right now in this moment, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is stirring our hearts to know you and to make you known. I just pray right now for each and every person who said, I want to go. I'm thinking of those people groups. I'm thinking of those people who live next to me, who work with me, who, who are in this part of the country. And we, we just stand with them. And we commission them. We say, beautiful are the feet of those who share the gospel. That you would bring them to the places and to the spaces where they need to be this week, this month, this year. That you would open up amazing opportunities and open doors for them to serve you. So Holy Spirit, we just pray in this moment. Come and work and move for your honor and your glory and your praise. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.